Hello, it is so wonderful that you are here. Welcome to the Clean and Lean podcast. In today's episode, I have another really special guest, Rosalind Graham, Professor Rosalind Graham. Um, yeah, she's wife of Dr. Douglas Graham and the author of The 80-10-10 Diet, uh, a book that completely changed my life. And in this talk today, we're going to get into um, tangible ways you can take in order to overcome binge eating if that's something you're currently struggling with or just generally junk food addiction um, it's definitely something that has been a struggle for me in the past and I'm very grateful I was able to overcome it and today we are sharing some nice tips for you I hope you enjoy this episode Today I'm here with amazing mm -hmm. Rosalind Graham. And first of all, I would want to ask you, what do you think from your experience with working with others, what is the main cause that people struggle with binge eating? Well, I think that binge eating occurs when people are trying to suppress their emotions or provide themselves with a painkiller for their emotions. And it's when we get tired that our emotions tend to surface. We become more emotional when we're weary at the end of the day or at other times when we just feel exhausted. That is when we're at our emotional most vulnerable. And I think that this is the time so common that we reach out for those unhealthy foods, partly to stimulate ourselves out of the exhaustion, but also very much because we feel those emotions rising up within us. And normally we're energetic enough to just focus on life and being dynamic and taking physical action with life. And when we get tired, we're not doing that. And suddenly we start to feel these needs rise to the surface. Um, the problem is with a lot of our uncomfortable emotions that in my experience, they're actually rooted in things that challenged us during our childhood years. Now, I'm not necessarily insinuating that this is always parental, that it's mom or dad that's been the cause of these problems. Although in many cases, despite the love those parents might have felt for their child, if the child has been born particularly sensitive, there may have been things that they've said that has imprinted upon that child's mm. psyche very deeply when they were small, which they carry on into their adulthood. But it can be teachers, it could be siblings, it could be friends, it, it could be just life in general um, being too harsh for that sensitive soul. But things that happen in childhood very often are the cause of these types of compulsive needs to keep those emotions pushed down or mm. numbed in some way. Wow, yeah, I love that you bring in the childhood because I feel like that's often a big part where all of that starts mm -hmm. and then we carry that on into our, mm -hmm. you know, adult life. Yes. So what would you say is like the first step? Because of course there are many steps to mm -hmm. free yourself from binge eating. What is the first step someone can take who is experiencing like daily late night cravings and mm -hmm. is having, you know, daily binge episodes? What is the first step these people could take? Well, gosh, there's a whole selection of first steps that one potentially could take, but I think what I'm going to suggest is that if an individual can acknowledge that one of the most uncomfortable feelings inside of them, be it on a subconscious level, 
is actually a feeling of anger. But going back to the childhood story here, very often that anger had nowhere to go. Mm. It's, it's not common for a child to express great rage towards parents, teachers, siblings, um, or even their friends at school. Um, particularly for sensitive people. Sensitive people aren't typically aggressive people. And so what happens is that this anger becomes turned around and it comes back towards them. And then of course there's this feeling, well what do I do with this? Now if this is the case, and maybe some listeners here can resonate with that and feel that that could be true for them, I think something very important is to understand what forgiveness is because we talk all the time about oh it's good to forgive you need to forgive you will transform your life if you forgive which is all very well but very few people know how to do it I mean one doesn't just sit there and make a decision I've decided to forgive uh, well they might but they're an unusual person if they do it's not as simple as that now forgiveness in my way of seeing things it's not something that involves stopping doing something it's something that involves starting to do something mm, yeah. so when we think of forgiveness very often we think I must stop feeling angry I must stop feeling resentful I must stop feeling animosity towards this person or this childhood or this situation whereas in fact forgiveness is a very dynamic active thing and what we need to do in forgiveness is we need to understand that whoever those people whether it was a teacher a sibling or whoever those people always did the only thing they could do at that time according to their knowledge their awareness their wisdom mm. their connection to God their perspective the whole mixture of who they were at that time, that was the only thing they could do. If they could have done better, they would have done. Nobody gets up in the morning and decides to behave poorly or mm. stupidly. People struggle with life and they do the best that they can. And if we can understand that whether it was a parent or whoever it was that said that harsh word or did that harsh thing that we've taken on as a wound throughout our lives they didn't do it because they wanted to be a poor example of humanity they did it because that was all they could do in that moment that's who they were in that moment and so forgiveness involves the dynamic action of holding a, a prayer for those people that they will grow and become more um, aware become more sensitive, that they will gain some wisdom, that they will change their ways and in that they will be happier and so will people around them and that they will grow to become a very loving person who's really contributing to the community, to the family and to life. And even if that person has passed over, to offer compassion and understanding and empathy of thinking well I too have made mistakes sometimes I've done things that I've regretted we all have mm -hmm. and to be able to feel that empathy and that understanding and that compassion this is dynamic forgiveness 
So it's not something we stop, it's something we start doing, yeah? which, which is very different. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to know who it was that really upset you or why it was you grew up with this feeling of being inferior, what influence caused you to suffer in that way. You don't necessarily have to identify it. You just happen to know that something was said or done by somebody or some people that resulted in that. And to develop this um, new way of viewing things as that's the only way it could have been according to who those people were in that moment. And to work on this prior to sitting down to a meal can be very helpful. Now there is an expression that says don't go shopping when you're hungry. And um, the point is that don't wait until you're mid-binge to try and do this work. Make it a conscious habit of practicing forgiveness each day. In fact, earn each meal by focusing on forgiveness and Amazing. really spending time with this issue. And then you will eat far more peacefully. I, I really do think that's a very good starting place for a lot of people. I love that. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. And I love how much emphasis you put on the inner, because often we think we have to change something on the outside, like change the way we make our food or what we eat. But often it's the inner that mm -hmm. needs to change in order for us to like experience a different outcome on the outside. So I love yes. how much emphasis you put on there. And that brings me also to my next question. Do you have some advice for people out there how to also bring more presence into eating? You already mentioned to make it a habit to forgive, you know, the people around you and probably also yourself. But do you have some more tips on how to be more present when you actually are then in the act of eating and maybe also, you know, how to stop at the right time? So Yes, this, this is a really rich question about how to eat with um, an attitude of presence. Yeah. And to my mind it's all to do with our own personal identity and who we are. If you view yourself as somebody who's out of control, who's rushing around, who's always got too much to do and always feeling that wherever you are you should be somewhere else and struggling with your emotions and struggling with the frustrations of those around you, to then expect yourself to sit and eat like a monk Is, is unrealistic. Yeah? Mm. It's, it's not going to happen because that's not who you are, as it were. And so being able to sit and eat in a really reverent fashion cannot be achieved exclusively at mealtimes. It's um, a, a developing uh, quality, one might say, in a person to be able to fully feel far more gratitude and appreciation in their life, because that is essentially what it boils down to. Um, beauty, for example. There is so much beauty around us all the time, and yet most of the time we don't really notice it. Not unless it's something overtly obvious, like you suddenly see a beautiful rainbow, but there is so much beauty. And it's so funny, isn't it, that sometimes If you have a discussion with somebody about a certain thing, such as a red car, before you know it, 
there's red cars everywhere and you see a red car and a red car drives past you and you think wow that's really interesting we were just talking about red cars and then you pull into a parking lot and there's four red cars because your mind is tuned in to noticing the red cars well it's the same if as you go about your day you're appreciating all the beauty of nature and uh, the beauty in people and the beauty in creative expression that people have brought into some sort of physical form and you enjoy all these things and you appreciate them then it's much easier to sit at a meal because you're already noticing the red car to see the beauty in the food to feel the gratitude for the fact that we've been provided with these foods to, to keep us alive because let's be honest not everyone in the world gets fed we are very blessed and fortunate to be those who do. Mm. And so rather than thinking, well, I'm going to be this person who is relatively out of control, who's going in the fast lane of life, who's struggling, who's suffering, and then suddenly at a mealtime, I'm going to sit down and be completely poised and graceful. And it's, it's a complete mismatch. So we have to take that concept of being present with your food and start developing it in the entirety of your day so that when you do come to eat, look at this beautiful color. And don't these colors look beautiful together? And oh, this luscious, juicy fruit, this is just so delicious, the sweetness of it, yeah? And you're then able to be far more present. Wow, yeah, that's so beautiful. And that makes me just realize that the way we are with our food, the way we are eating, is just a reflection of what's inside of us all along. Mm. You know, the eating just mm. mirrors us back very often where mm. we're at in our inner world. Mm. So I really love that you put so much emphasis on it. And I'm curious if you also have some practical advice on how people can move more in towards a direction of food freedom mm -hmm. and just not having to think so much about food all mm -hmm. the time and having it take up so much space in their life. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think this is very, very important. Now, um, I am speaking as a person myself who has a background of every sort of eating disorder that exists. Mm -hmm. Um, many, many years ago, and I thank God for this, I, I managed to completely heal myself. And to be really truthful with you, I don't think about food unless I'm hungry. <laughs> and there were years ago when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I didn't believe I could ever live like I live now. I didn't think for me it was possible to ever live that free of food addictions and food problems. Now, there is no question that there are foods out there that predispose us to becoming very addicted to them. And the classic ones are grains and grains and sugars. You know, the cakes, the cookies, the bread, the pasta, all these sorts of things tend to be very much a draw for the addictive sort of person. Now, these substances do contain things that will bring about a change in your experience of life in that moment. There's certain chemicals in them and various compounds that can lift you up, that can suppress you down, that can chill you out, that can comfort you. And it's these shifts that we, we get attached to. So there has to become a point where a person makes a commitment and that commitment is based on their values. Now, I reached a time in my life where my eating disorders were so bad that they were completely stealing my life. 
I had very little life and the life that I did have was one of pure suffering. Um, and I made a decision that that piece of cake or that cookie or that piece of bread, despite the fact that I desired it so strongly with this terrible craving, that I actually craved dietary freedom more. And this is a big key. Although sometimes we think we really want to get well, what are we willing to give up for it, really? What are we really willing to get out of our lives so that we can find that dietary freedom and not suffer these hideous addictions? And it's a personal conversation each person has to have with themselves. Anyone who says, I want to heal my eating disorder, but I want to continue eating bread and cookies and cakes. I just want to moderate it. Are unfortunately lacking in the scientific education to know that the chances of that are almost zero. If you have an addiction to these substances, it's not going to simply disappear or become modified because you're demonstrating self-control. This isn't about self-control. This is about a personal commitment to reclaiming your life. And that personal commitment means to say to yourself, these grains and these refined sugars are poison to me. I, don't, I no longer see these as food. I see them as poisons that are destroying my life. So why would I reach for them? So this is one very important thing. Don't think to yourselves, I'm going to learn self-control. I'm going to moderate this to a, a sensible quantity. Say to yourself, I am a person to whom these products are poison. And therefore, I simply don't consume them. Mm. And, it's, and it's a decision and it's a commitment. And we all understand we have to have carbohydrates in our diets. But the diet that we're designed for anatomically, psychologically actually, and physically, is one based on fresh, ripe, luscious fruits. Fruits are our natural carbohydrate, not the grains, that's for the birds. <laughs> um, everything about our biochemistry also confirms this. We don't even have sufficient ptyalin in our saliva to properly break down these starches, which is why we have to cook them all, we have to subject them to heat, to transfer them to something called dextrin so that we stand a chance of getting them through our system. The birds of the air don't have to do that. They are designed to eat grains. We're designed to eat fruit. And once we stop trying to eat bird food and we start eating human food, we find that everything from our physicality to our psycholo psychology works so much better. So yes, you do need carbohydrates, absolutely. They need to be the predominating nutrient in your diet. But you don't want to be getting them through grains which particularly to people with these disorders is pure poison. You need to be getting those carbohydrates through fresh fruits. Nice. Yeah, 80-10-10 is the way to go. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I have one last question for you because um, during your lectures here at the festival, you've always made this really beautiful analogy with the table, which has to have three legs. Mm -hmm. Because if you only have one leg, it's mm -hmm. going to collapse. So I was wondering, what would you say are the three legs you need for a healthy relationship with food, like a healed, happy, joyous relationship with food, the one you're, mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. just told us you're experiencing right now? 
Well, that's so. a very rich question. Yes, I think I think ultimately the four legs are probably even better than mm. three, right? Because yeah, so, then we get a really solid table. Um, one one leg of that table has to be a complete trust in the natural world, and. Um, I can relate this to when I was um, in my late 40s when I suddenly conceived my first child. And so many people said to me, you know, aren't you anxious, aren't you frightened because mm -hmm. you're so old to be having a child? And my response was, I trust my body. If my body can conceive, it can give birth, why should I be worried? And it's the same kind of trust in nature one has to have to believe that the fruits that are provided for us, the nuts and seeds and the fruits and the, and the green leaves, this is supposed to be our diet. And to have complete trust in nature. Um, one doesn't have to walk into a supermarket to buy something in a tin or a packet or a plastic bag to put it inside your body. To have that trust that the natural world provides us with what we need in its natural state as it does with every other creature on the planet. Every creature's food is provided in nature and so is ours and to have that trust I think is really really important. Mm. I think another leg of the table to have this really healthy relationship with your food is to understand that every piece of food that you choose to swallow makes a statement about who you are, yeah? If you are a person who's sitting there and you're putting these chemical-laden, unnatural, processed foods inside your body, you are essentially saying, I am giving up my power and handing it over to these poisons. I'm literally giving them the power and I'm putting them inside of me so that they can take over my power. And the other leg of the table is to make that decision. I stand in my own power. I reclaim my own power. I will not have it stolen by these inconsequential toxic substances. And that's, that's the second leg of the second leg of the table. I think another leg of the table that really helps is to be willing to feel. We live in a culture where we're raised that feelings, unless they're really positive, unless we're really happy and joyous, and, and even that, if you laugh too much, people think you're insane. Um, the downward emotions, the negativity, the, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, oh, we're not allowed to share those. And this is demonstrated every day, every second, by people who say, hi, how are you? And the other person says, I'm great, how are you? And neither of them are great at all but they don't share their real emotions because socially that's a taboo. So I think another leg of the table is to understand, particularly with women, that our life is an emotional one. It's supposed to be an emotional one. That's part of being sentient. And one very important factor is those feelings are there to be felt. So rather than always trying to make our feelings go away through alcohol, drugs, cigarettes or food, we need to embrace our emotions and say, oh, here comes loneliness. Oh, here's unhappiness. Here's grief. Here's sadness. Maybe here's anger. Here's disappointment. And you allow yourself to feel that without feeling a need to not feel. 
these emotions will pass. And it's the same actually mm. with a craving to binge. A lot of people think until I eat, this craving will not go away, mm. but actually it does. If you wait long enough, that desperate craving will go away and you'll reach the other side of it without having given into it. And this is an illusion that most pinge eaters experience, this feeling that it won't stop until I have it, and it's not true. It's an illusion. It does stop if you refuse it. Which brings me on really to the fourth leg of the table. And that is to say that if you find yourself suffering from this desperate craving, there is a very simple practical little trick that can help. And this little trick is to get outside. It sounds simple, but get out of the confining walls of a building. It doesn't matter if you're in a, a train station, if you're in your office or school or home, get out of the building. Um, because these little concrete enclosures that we spend time in are very oppressive. When we go outside, suddenly there is no ceiling, and the ceiling represents our potential and our possibility. Once we get outside and we see the sky so high above, suddenly we get this liberated feeling that our potential and our ability to overcome is so much bigger than we ever thought. Mm. So get outside, preferably get into nature, and go for a walk. Now here's the twist. You say to yourself, okay, I need to go and buy this packet of cookies or I need to go and eat the entire loaf of bread that's in the fridge or whatever it is. And I'm not saying to myself that I'm not going to do that. The only thing I am saying is that before I do it, I am going to walk for at least mm -hmm. half an hour somewhere. Long enough for me to reconnect with where I'm trying to get to, who I am, how I want to live my life, whether I want these poisons to control me, and so on and so forth. I may still go back and have that food, but I have gone through the process of reminding myself of my goals. And the conclusion of that walk, this is very important, has to be that you say to yourself, these substances actually have no control over me. Mm -hmm. They are innate, non-sentient substances. All of this is coming exclusively from me. And if I'm going to go and eat this, I acknowledge and admit that it's my choice. Now, this flies in the face a lot, I know, with the 12-step programs, Overeaters Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous. And I do know that for some people these programs help, and I applaud them for the help they have given those people. Personally, I do not resonate at all with the idea of saying this food has power over me. For me, this is the worst affirmation any person with a compulsive eating problem can have. To tell yourself that an outside, non-sentient entity can have some power over you yeah. is weakening, it's damaging, and it's psychologically traumatizing. I do not support it at all. So before you finish your walk, you conclude with, this is just a substance. It can have no power over me. This illusionary craving is coming from me. And I acknowledge that I'm going to go and eat it. But most importantly, I acknowledge I'm choosing to do so.
it doesn't make me do it, I choose to, mm. and that's very important. Wow, those are some really strong table legs. I love it. Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing that. You're so welcome. And do you have any um, thing where people can find you if they want to know more about you and about what you teach? Um, yes, the best thing that you can probably do is to um, go on to my husband's website, which is foodandsport.com. I'll link it down below. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you can actually send my husband an email and say that you want to connect with me and... Um, Yeah, and then hopefully we can link up and I can be of some help. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Rosalind, so for sharing and also for your talks here at the festival. I no, really no. learned a lot just from these few talks. Not at all. And I love your philosophy. Thank and you. So. And just, just to say, you so to your, say to your lovely <laughs> listeners here, darling, that I am nobody special. I'm just exactly the same as your listeners. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know that if I could heal myself from these tormenting eating disorders, I am a hundred percent convinced that every single person watching this can do it too. Yeah, amazing. That's some amazing words of wisdom. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and bye. bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I think it was super, super interesting what Rosalind was sharing. And um, yeah, I hope you got lots of lots of value out of it. If junk food addiction and binge eating is something that you're currently struggling with and you're looking to overcome, I have a free effortless weight loss blueprint that you can get by, like, by, licking, by clicking the link in the description box down below. Um, yeah, and other than that, I'm sending you lots of love and hope you have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. Bye!